Hey, tennis fans, and welcome to yet another edition of the Southpaw Slice. I'm Ben Lewis, joined alongside Mike McIntyre. Remember, you can find us on Twitter at Southpaw underscore Slice. Find me at Ben Lewis SN590 and find Mike at Pro Tennis Fan. Well, it was one of the greatest performances on a major stage we have probably ever seen from a Canadian singles player as Bianca Andreescu produced a thrilling three-set win over Angelique Kerber to win the BNP Paribas Open from Indian Wells this past weekend for her second title of the season and as a premier mandatory the biggest title won by a Canadian woman in singles ever and our special guest this week fellow Canadian tennis player and her very good friend a junior doubles partner for years back and another young prospect to watch for Carson Brandstein Carson thank you so much uh, for joining us first of all and I want to start with your tennis because I know it was a big week for you recently uh, making your first ITF final in of all places Carson in California so I'd love to start there and just tell us about uh, your big week big week there of tennis yeah it was a good week um it was just a smaller event just a 15,000 but um as a lot of people know I've been struggling with a lot of injuries and a lot of ups and downs off the court so um it was nice to be able to play five matches in a row healthy and feeling good and uh, yeah, as you said, uh, you've had a, a bit of a tough go with injuries the past couple of years. Uh, can you, I guess, talk more in detail about what those injuries have been and uh, I guess how the body is feeling right now? Yeah, so I had an, I was struggling with some knee issues and, um, you know, I, I was kind of a late bloomer. I'm, I'm pretty tall, so I'm, I'm standing at 5'11". So I think that like a lot of the pressure of running around and putting a lot of hours on the court. And, you know, before I came to Tennis Canada, I really didn't know how to train. So then when I really got my training and stuff, I think my body just kind of freaked out. Um, but then now I'm healthy again and I'm stronger than ever. So um, what I'm doing now is obviously working some people would say that, uh, you know, at 18 years old, people would think your, your body must be indestructible being so young. But I guess all the time spent on court practicing and in competition does, does take quite a toll no matter what your age is. Um, have you had to adjust your approach to training in order to give your body, I guess, a break and, and time to heal? Yeah, of course. I mean, a lot of people think because we're young, like our bodies can just go forever and everything else. But um, like I said earlier, since I'm tall, it's a little bit different for me and um, growing a lot and whatnot. Um, but yeah, of course I can't be training the same as a girl who's five foot two and can just, you know, run a million miles a day. I'm very tall. And of course things have to be adjusted according to how I'm built. Um, not only just my age, but it's always going to be a little bit different than everyone else. Um, but yeah, it's not anything that's like super out of the ordinary. Maybe I just won't do as many sprints as someone else or, I won't do, you know, crazy heavy squatting or something like that. But, um, yeah, my, my training has been adjusted for me with at Tennis Canada, and it's going well. You, you talked about, you know, obviously things being different when you switched over to Tennis Canada, which was in 2017, I believe. What brought you over from the U.S. program, and have you been pretty happy with how things have worked out then overall since that time? Yeah, I think when I first tried Tennis Canada, it just felt pretty automatic that I wanted to be there, but I couldn't move over right away because there's a few things I had already committed to with the USTA. Um, so it was quite the process to get me over to TC full time and with my citizenship and all that took a bit, but, um, yeah, it was, um, 
I don't know. I, I can't like explain it. It was just like a feeling when I got there in Montreal with Sylvain Bruno and Simon Lerose and um, I just, it was such a family atmosphere and everyone, I've never seen such a program of everyone just working together perfectly and everyone's so happy. The players, the coaches and the office, you can just see it's a good program and with just great people behind it. Um, so it seemed that was just a fit for me. And I don't know if it would have been like that for everyone else, but for me, I, it felt like it was a perfect thing for my tennis. And of course, now you can see with everyone's success, I, I think it's pretty obvious that was the right decision. <laughs> yeah, no <laughs> because, kidding. Um, everyone around me is doing well. I feel like this year is going to be a really great year for me as well. So it's exciting. Yeah, and uh, you certainly can see uh, in terms of the results we've seen from Canadians coming through this program and, and Canadians overall in tennis, uh, this is probably the best uh, this country has ever been in its standing. And uh, just mm-hmm. to, I, wa- I want to take you back, I guess, a couple of years ago because uh, we saw just incredible success with you alongside, of course, the, the story of really this year, Bianca Andreescu winning uh, two junior doubles titles, the Australian Open and French Open. What were your memories uh, of those two titles? And, and what was it like at that time uh, competing side-by-side side with Bianca? Yeah, it was pretty crazy. I mean, our first tournament together was Australian Open, and we won. So, we, like, from the beginning, we just got a lot of confidence from that. Um, we have really nice games that complement each other because Bianca, of course, is so crafty, and, you know, I like to hit through the court a bit more, and I like to serve big and everything else. So um, it worked out really well that I moved to Canada and everything with us just worked out amazingly in every way possible. I mean, I, there's so many memories. I can't even remember all of them, like off the top of my head from the practice courts to winning tiebreakers and inside jokes and rooming together and just so many things. Um, And just watching each other grow as people, not just on the tennis court, but off the court as well has just been a great experience. And I couldn't be more proud of Bianca this year and she's still I mean still early we're only in March I just I can't wait to see what's next yeah that's the uh, that's the incredible thing right here is is that she is so young you are so young of course as well and, and still building upon your career do, do you have any set goals I guess in terms of 2019 and, and the strides you're, you're really looking to make moving forward yeah to be honest uh I'm like when it comes to ranking and tournaments and results just because of my injuries I'm not going to put too much pressure on myself to say like, Oh, I have to win these events or I have to make this ranking deadline. I think that um, right now, since I feel so good with my knees and my health, I'm just going to play one match at a time, one point at a time, one shot at a time kind of mentality. But um, I, I feel really good. I think the sky's the limit and I'm not going to say that I can or can't do anything. I I'm feeling great in my practices and my trainings. Um, I'm just looking forward to getting on the court and competing. Carson, in terms of your uh, biggest accomplishment in your tennis career to date, whether it be back in junior or since you've gone pro, what moment stands out for you up to this point as, um, you know, the career highlight, uh, so to speak? Yeah, of course. I mean, other than the junior slam title, uh, me and Bianca have had a lot of success on the pro tour as well. When we got to the finals of Quebec city and we won the 25 tank at snow, um, and Rogers Cup, we had great results. And so I guess on the double side um, have been some of my best memories and 
maybe it would have brought me a lot of happiness of um, alongside of that. But even singles results, when it comes to playing top 100 players, I've always competed well against them. And in Vancouver last year, I had um, a couple good wins. And there's there's not been anything. I I'm still pretty hungry. I I think that um, I still have a long ways to go, but um, I think the way that my mind has changed like off court and my mentality is really stood out the most, even though it doesn't seem like a highlight for everyone, but I couldn't be more proud of myself of how I've grown as a person moving to Montreal and training harder and really figuring out what it takes to be at the top. I think that's been my biggest, my biggest accomplishment by far. Speaking of feeling proud for those watching Bianca's big win in the finals in Indian Wells, we saw you as one of the first people that she ran over to and gave a big hug to in her player's box after the game. Um, Can you talk about how it felt uh, to be there for such an epic Canadian tennis moment and especially given how close the two of you are? Yeah, oh my goodness. It was funny because before the tournament, she knew I was in California because playing Carson and like, just training and stuff. I was here anyways, but at Palm Desert in Indian Wells is about a little over an hour and a half drive from my house. And she's like, Oh my goodness, see you. Like, I hope you can come out. I'm like, Oh, I'm busy at these tournaments. But I was like, I'm only coming if you make the finals. And then she made the finals. So I was like, Oh my goodness, wait, I actually have to go now. You had to go for sure. Um, yeah. And, uh, yeah, just watching the match. I was just, I was amazed at the level that she brought court and competing and, I mean, I was so emotional for her, like as a, a best friend and, you know, a, a partner and all these things off of the court. It's just like, it's, you almost can't believe it. And, um, yeah, when, when she won, I just, I couldn't hold tears back. I was, we were both crying and just happy and uh, we were in shock for the most part. And later that day, we, she actually came back to Orange County and we got a hotel together and, um, after her media and treatment and all that stuff, she came back and we, we hung out. We got to hang out um, until she had to fly the next day to Miami. Um, but, yeah, we were just, oh, my goodness, the emotions is crazy. It just didn't really sink in until, like, even today I'm still in shock. I'm, like, we're talking. We text, like, every day. And we're just, like, oh, my gosh. Like, is this real? Like, we're pinching ourselves every moment just to try to absorb what happened because – we just are talking about it. It's not just a big win for her, but it's such a big win for Tennis Canada and, and Canadian sports all around and the Olympic Committee and everyone. We're getting all these amazing messages from all these people of just history. History has been made, and then I just I can go on all day of how happy I am for her. It's just amazing. <laughs> You're listening to the Southpaw Slice. Our special guest this week is Carson Branstein, Canadian tennis player. Remember, find us at Southpaw underscore Slice on Twitter. You can find her on Twitter as well at Carson Branstein. Uh, you mentioned uh, her game a little bit earlier, calling her a crafty player, and that's been spoken about quite a bit in 2019, that she uses a lot of variety. Uh, you have a power game with a more of maybe an all-court presence. Um, you, you know, obviously you've played alongside her and, and hit with her. It, like, how incredible is it that she's out there beating, you know, two-time Grand Slam champs like Garbina Muguruza, love and one, and then taking out Kerber in the final? It just seems uh, pretty, pretty stunning, really. Yeah, I mean, I knew literally since the first time I ever practiced Bianca, 
which was way back when. I don't even know when the first time I hit with her was. I don't even think I was with Tennis Canada yet the first time I had practiced with her. But it's pretty obvious in her game, the way she hits and the way she carries herself on the court, that she's a champion just as good as everyone else. She's not afraid of anyone. Um, and her game just it's it's beautiful. Her style is she can hit every shot and she has such great court coverage too. Once girls, even if they try to get her moving or something, she's right there and, and ready. Um, she has incredible angles and drop shots, but she can still hit the ball just as good as anyone else out there. And um, she has, I mean, she has it all. She has what it takes to be a champion. And it's just a matter of time before she keeps, you know, having huge accomplishments and, I can see her winning Grand Slams and more premier tournaments. It's just a matter of time, and um, she has it. Yeah, it's a style that not a lot of girls have, and they don't like it. They don't like it when she slices and hits angles and stuff. Um, it's She's like a wizard. <laughs> I always call her a wizard. It's like magic when she's playing, and she has an answer for everything. It's pretty awesome. And uh, I want to go back to you as well, because uh, you talked about how, how proud uh, you are of yourself and, and how far you've come over the, the past stretch of time in terms of uh, your mental side of the game. Uh, what has changed for you, I guess, mentally in terms of your focus, uh, in terms of your focus and your tennis game? And how do you think that's going to help you moving forward? Yeah, for sure. I mean, when I was young, I, I was a player like when I was in um, the 12s and the 14s, I I was very dominant when I, at a young age, and so I just like expected a lot of things to come to me all the time because I was I was talented, I was tall, I was powerful, and then I was of course doing well in the juniors, and then all of a sudden these injuries hit me, and it just at the beginning I struggled a lot mentally just to think like oh my goodness like I was on my way to do these great things and. I expected things just to, I just thought wins were going to keep coming and I was going to be healthy and everything was going to just be a smooth ride all the time. And then um, I think with my injuries and then I tried coming back and it was very frustrating for me because I wasn't winning matches like I thought I should. And I wasn't working as hard as I, I should have, but I was injured at the same time. So I think taking all that time off and seeing you know, even Bianca or my other friends do well on the tour and watching on the TV and keeping up with everything. It just, I put a new perspective on tennis and how I thought about tennis. And now I think that when I go back to training, it's very structured and very serious. And I know what I want more than ever. Um, and I think it's going to help me tremendously when I get back on the court because I just, it's all, not only do I love tennis so much, it's everything to me, but it's, it's still a business and I have a job to do when I get on the court from the first minute to the last shot every single day. I know what I need to do. So I think it's definitely going to help me for the rest of the year and for my career in the future. Speaking of the rest of the year, Carson, what is your sort of plans for scheduling moving forward this uh, spring? Um, because of my injuries I'm and now that I'm healthy, I'm going to play as many tournaments as I can this year and um, push my ranking and see how high I can get. That's basically basically it. <laughs> I'm going to play uh, a million tournaments if I can. And is there the uh, possibility that we'll see a reunion on court between you and your uh, BFF, Bianca, at some point in doubles, do you think? Yeah, um, Rogers Cup is very likely, but we'll see. Um, it just depends on how our years are going and how much doubles we're playing and whatnot. Um, but yeah, hopefully Rogers Cup is what we're aiming for. 
Hey, there you go. More uh, more insider information for fans here in Toronto to come out and, and see you guys in action. Um, Carson, oh, thank, for sure. <laughs> thank you so much for joining us and, and talking to us about the progress that you've been making and, and also sharing some of that uh, information on, on being up close and, and obviously getting that quality time with Bianca again, which must have been so special for you guys. Um, continued success this year moving forward, and uh, we look forward also to chatting with you again soon. Yeah, thank you so much. I appreciate it. That was Carson Brandstein appearing on our Southpaw Slice program. And uh, as we mentioned at the at the top, two junior doubles titles alongside Bianca Andreescu, the Australian Open and the French Open in 2017. And must be pretty incredible to see one of her best friends, uh, you know, doing the unthinkable winning Indian Wells this past week. Well, it was really cool just hearing about you know, sort of what happened, her being there and promising to go if Bianca made the finals and then obviously having to uh, come through on that promise. And, uh, yeah, it just sounds like, you know, two great friends who get to enjoy such a monumental moment together. And even though it wasn't Carson on the court, she certainly can relate and appreciate, uh, you know, what it's like to have uh, some, some big success in your sport. And um, I'd, I'd really love to see those two back together on the court. I know scheduling might be, be difficult. We might have to wait until August in the Rogers Cup. But they were a lot of fun when I saw them play together back in 2000. 17 here in Toronto, a lot of chemistry. You can tell they have a great time together and, uh, and fans really got into that too. So uh, we'll just have to be patient and see if that indeed does come to uh, come to be. Yeah, absolutely. And look, Bianca Andreescu is one who has certainly spoken about inspiring moments from fellow Canadians, seeing Denis Shapovalov, what he did at Rogers Cup, emergence of uh, Felix Auger-Aliassime. Carson Brandstein can, can look alongside to what Bianca Andreescu did post her injuries. Uh, you know, Carson was not the only one uh, who's dealt with injuries and she's still so young. Uh, I think she has such a bright uh, future ahead of her and uh, you know a taller player but a uh, big powerful game and uh, I think uh, she could be poised for a lot of success interesting tidbit too uh, which I just learned today her cousin Carson Brandstein's cousin is first baseman of the Atlanta Braves Freddie Freeman and uh, if you know Freddie Freeman he's one of the best first basemen in baseball and really the consummate professional so that could be also a pretty solid uh, role model to, to call up for tips uh, anytime you want runs in the family and I guess just add her name to the growing list of Canadians uh, to keep an eye on. Although this week we certainly, I think, have to transition now and, and focus on the incredible tournament that Bianca Andreescu had. And, you know, you can just run us through maybe, Ben, some of the, you know, firsts that she accomplished in Indian Wells. Yeah, look, uh, Carson said it correctly, that it, it really was an historic title for Bianca Andreescu. She was the first wild card to ever come in and win Indian Wells. The first Canadian woman to ever win a premier mandatory event in singles. Youngest to ever win Indian Wells and Serena Williams did so back in 1999 and I want to look at this rankings jump for a moment she started 2019 152 um, the only reason we got to talk about her in one of our first episodes of the year is because she came out of nowhere to make the finals of the ASB Classic in Auckland New Zealand but uh, I don't want to say that she wasn't on our radar but she really wasn't one of our handful of Canadians that we were talking about to take the next step and move forward in the rankings and, and produce big results she is in the top 20 now number 24 from 152 to 24 uh, so you can really forget about the wild cards going forward because she will have literally nothing to defend for the remainder of this season and uh, I was looking back at some other titles in terms of Canadian wins and, and where this ranked on the singles pantheon and I really think this one is the best ever um, 
Jeannie Bouchard has her one title from 2014. That was a WTA international on clay uh, in Nuremberg in Germany. Milos Raonic obviously has a handful of events, uh, but his biggest was an ATP 500. Uh, So this WTA premier mandatory is the equivalent of like a Masters 1000. So a 500 event is not quite at that level. And then you go back a little further. If you remember uh, from Quebec, Alexander Wozniak, she had a great title in 2008 when she won the Bank of the West Classic in Stanford. Great title fantastic result uh huge moment for tennis canada back then 11 years ago but uh we i just don't think we've seen this before these canadian successes that we've had have just sort of built on each other i feel like over the past eight years and nothing against daniel Nestor and all the incredible success he had in doubles but in the singles world there wasn't a whole lot to get excited about and for me personally i remember when milos won in San Jose in 2011, that felt really big, even though it was a smaller level ATP tournament, just to have a Canadian come along and have a a moment winning a tournament in singles felt, and and he was young at the time too, not that he's over the hill yet, but in his late twenties now, but it really felt like, boy, this is going to be someone to watch. And then Obviously, 2014, Jeannie, uh, you know, the tournament victory was was not even the biggest thing she accomplished that year. To me, it was the two Grand Slam semifinals, the Wimbledon final. That yes. was just still, in terms of a 12-month period, the the, the biggest uh, single season that, that we've seen, in my opinion, for sure, still to date. Uh, and Milos, obviously, making the finals at Wimbledon in, in 2016. But this victory in Indian Wells, for sure, is the biggest Um you know, Dennis also had his moment in 2017 in Montreal mm-hmm. and that one felt really big as it was happening. And I think in, in some sense also because it was in Canada, yes. because it was in front of a rabid crowd of fans in Montreal. I mean, those tennis fans, I'm, I'm sorry, Toronto, and maybe I'm biased because I'm born in Montreal and raised there too. But that Montreal Unipree Stadium was just rocking every match he played along the way. But this one for Bianca to get to the finals and then get over the hump and win the event as well, when it looked for a while there late in the third that physically she wasn't going to be able to maybe do it after, you know, I want to say squandering those three championship points and allowing Kerber to break back in the match, mm-hmm. it felt like oh, maybe that veteran experience is going to come in handy and Kerber's going to flip this one on her. For it to come right back out and, and break Kerber to take the title was just absolutely by far the, the greatest moment I've seen from a Canadian on a tennis court. It was such a, it, it felt a, like a big time momentum shift when uh, she couldn't capitalize on those first three match points at five, three against uh, a three time grand slam champion in Angelique Kerber. You know, you could probably point to other moments where sort of you had your chance to beat a top player, you missed out and they take over. But uh, Bianca Andreescu just time and time again in 2019 and in these matches just shows so much resolve and composure, even when things aren't going her way. And I think a really defining moment too, was we saw the changeover and it's obviously really cool. I know we've debated sort of the, uh, coaching on-court coaching that exists on the WTA some people like it some people don't but certainly very cool moment with Sylvain Bruneau um, at 3-2 in the changeover where you know her feet are burning she's exhausted she's laying it all out there how is she possibly going to pull this off she's fatigued Angelique Kerber is just a warrior out there and she uh, she says I want this so bad that that was really a defining moment I think uh, for for Canadian tennis, really, not just for Bianca Andreescu. I was getting emotional just watching (laughs) that even, you know? It was just so compelling, and it was so raw, and it was so real, and and you just felt for her. Anyone watching that, even if you weren't Canadian, even if you weren't rooting for her to win, on some level, you must have felt something for her in that moment. I had a friend of mine today ask me, he hadn't seen the match, 
but he sort of read an article summarizing it and he said like uh, so 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 what she said she wanted it so bad like that doesn't seem so inspiring to me i said you had to watch it yeah. like she was just physically everything was hurting she was taped on the one side she was getting iced on the leg she was getting massaged on the arm uh, she had given everything mm-hmm. leading up to that moment she was basically in tears showing so much raw emotion and and for her to then go out and and deliver on it and and you know we've said it coming back from from squandering that the, the, those points and you looked at Kerber who kind of had this sly smile creep over her face as if like I think <laughs> I might have this young one now yeah. and and then she went right back out and just sealed the deal and closed it out and and even her celebration at the end falling to the court and mm-hmm. just you could see her soaking it in it was just so compelling and uh what what a great champion in terms of the tennis and in terms in terms of also how she handles herself afterwards her her speech afterwards just thanking all the right people staying composed and uh, and I was just really impressed for for 18 years old first big big victory like that she she spoke so well came across so well she's going to be a big deal on and off the court for uh, for herself and for tennis canada yeah absolutely this is why we uh this is why we love sports gives you goosebumps you get moments like this and this is why i love tennis uh one of these uh, incredible matches and so great to see a canadian like bianca andreescu accomplish so much in such a little uh period of time in 2019 she's now 28 and 3 that leads the wta and uh i, I said this to a friend of mine <laughs> The other day, Bianca Andreescu could lose every match for the rest of the season. It's and it wouldn't bit, matter. And, and it, it would, wouldn't even <laughs> matter. Still a successful year. Still an incredibly successful year. I feel like she's already locked up, you know, some awards, right? Like, again, oh, yeah. regardless of what happens next, WTA, like, newcomer, newcomer yeah. uh, most improved player. Mm-hmm. Uh, if she keeps going like this, she might get, you know, most valuable play. She might just take all the awards this year. <laughs> she's certainly the lead candidate, too, for the uh, Lou Marsh Award for uh, Canadian Athlete of the Year. Uh, Absolutely. Obviously, long way to go still in march long way to go for her too uh we could see more titles who knows um good thing uh she revealed in her uh press conference today uh via tennis canada conference call that she's good to go she's healthy she's going to play miami um and things change now that she's seated maybe things change that uh players are really going to be gunning after her not that they maybe weren't uh in indian wells i think we knew about her the other the tour knew about her leading into that tournament, but especially I think now players are going to be circling her name if they have to deal with her in a very interesting first-round match at Miami because she's going to be playing Irina Camelia Begu, the player she beat in the first round at Indian Wells. She might be pretty keen to exact some revenge and she's had, you know, more than a week to think about that loss. Well, this is the thing. When you've played over 30 matches already up to this point in the season, uh, you're going to start facing some familiar faces and seeing people more than once. And it is odd when you look at the Miami draw that both her first second and third round opponents could all be people that she's played she's played recently and you can be sure that that surprise element that that factor that that must have played a part in each of those matches on some level is no longer going to be there when she's playing against Begu if she faces Sophia Kennan in the second round mm-hmm. who uh, who beat her in a close one early in the year and uh, my goodness if she faces Kerber in a third round match Oof, that oh would that would be something else because those two produced some brilliant tennis in that final that final lived up to everything you could have hoped it would be, but uh, even players who haven't faced her, they're going to be doing their research. You can bet that they've watched enough YouTube clips to know what they're going to be getting up against, and so she is going to lose a little bit of that unknown factor 
that uh, that has probably helped her along the way thus far. Yes, maybe the, some of those drop shots and slices will be anticipated a little bit more, but she can adjust her tactics as well. Look, we had a, really two fantastic finals on the women's and men's side for Indian Wells. Uh, not a name we had circled at the start of the tournament, Dominic Team, as a threat to uh, win this tournament at the BNP Paribas Open, and certainly not a name I would expect to produce his first Masters 1000 on a hardcourt surface. We always talked about about Team as this fantastic clay court threat, someone who could uh, maybe in the future win the French Open, and here he is uh, reaching the finals and beating Roger Federer to capture his first Masters 1000 title. Uh, great story for Team, and I thought that was also a very high-level final, 7-5 in the third set. Yeah, how often do you get back-to-back finals that are both absolutely fantastic i mean anyone who was attending in person in indian wells what a great day of tennis to yeah. cap, catch both of those matches uh, i mean team has taken his fair share of criticism over the years in terms of always playing such a, a heavy schedule and mm-hmm. and pushing himself uh, at so many tournaments it, it was nice to see him have this moment he's obviously very talented been talked about for quite some time as you mentioned known more for his clay prowess i mean he's beaten nadal more than once on clay and how many people can say that uh, made his first grand slam final last year at roland garros uh, but he's got the game that can be dangerous on hard court as well and uh i loved how he played late in that match you know yeah. when it was five all and Federer serving at 30-15, and, and it looked like Federer was going to hold. It looked inevitable that we were headed to a tie break, and, and Federer, back-to-back points, had these drop shots that were perfectly executed, and team got to both of them, and this is in a late stage of a match where you think you'd be tired and potentially you know, cramping and not at your fastest, got to both, flicked these wicked forehand cross-court winners both times, mm-hmm. uh, and then finished the game with a huge forehand uh, winner to, uh, to get the break and then close it out. So high-level tennis from both guys. Nice to see him uh, get that first Masters 1000. And uh, he must be feeling pretty good because he's about to head into the gravy portion of his season even as we are getting closer to the start of the official sort of clay court swing here. Yeah, I, some people don't really consider how you can take a hardcore title and maybe transition that into the clay court season with great success, that can be a real confidence builder. Uh, you know, once we dig into the Monte Carlos and the Romes and the Madrids, that uh, maybe he can channel that level to a surface where he's even more comfortable and become uh, one of these clay court threats who can, you know, maybe beat Nadal more than one time. <laughs> if you look at Rafael Nadal, the past, what, two seasons on clay, has lost two matches, both to Dominic Team. Um, if I'm circling sort of French Open threats right now, to me, I have three names, and it's Djokovic, Nadal, and Team. And it'll be interesting to see how he carries over this victory uh, over to Miami, another hardcourt surface. I thought he was maybe eventually due for a breakthrough on a hard surface when we saw his match actually with Nadal at the U.S. Open last year. That sort of five set epic uh, really showing that he can go toe to toe with the very best players Uh, on the Canadian side. Milos Ranić had a great result, um, the semifinals, and he's been to now four consecutive semifinals in the desert in uh, California. Indian Wells is obviously a very comfortable spot for him, and I'm not going to hold it against him at all for that loss to Dominic Team. Nine unforced errors in almost a three-hour match from Team. I thought Roundage played a very solid tournament. Yeah, it was a heck of a tournament all round for Canadians, really, and we almost had two of them in the finals, both on the men's and women's side. Uh, it's interesting to see how some players just thrive in certain conditions, as you said, a fourth time in a row. I know he missed one year, I believe it was uh, 2017, he couldn't play in the event, but otherwise... Right. You know, four straight semis or or better, 
And uh, there must be something in California because he's also won the tournament in San Jose three times yeah. in his career, earlier in his career. So obviously playing on the West Coast, playing in that, those types of conditions uh, work in, in favor of his game. Um, great to see him healthy. Great to see him putting up those results. Uh, you know, not moving up necessarily because he's defending those semifinal points from a year ago, but at least maintaining position and, and threatening and pushing his way uh, if he continues like this. Uh, into potentially, you know, back into top 10 territory. Yeah, I feel like it's been almost a year and a half where we've been talking about when is Milos Raonic going to get back to the top 10. And really, it's always just been the injuries depriving him of that. Um, you know, I, I think he had a bad loss a couple of weeks ago to Jan Leonard Struff, where maybe he was kicking himself a little bit in Dubai. But overall, 2019 has been very solid for Raonic, especially when we look at the first Grand Slam of the season in Australia, the draw he was fed, having to go through Kyrgios, Stan Vavrinka, some big-time players, and to reach quarterfinal there, and now semifinals. Um, I, I think he's proving himself to be really a mainstay on the tour of someone who can consistently make deep runs uh, at events, given the surface, if it's a hard court or, or maybe grass court, and always be sort of a threat in the final eight, final four. Yeah, and it's the kind of season where you wouldn't expect a player like that to have made a recent coaching change. And yet, you <laughs> know, right. here we are recently dropping Goran Ivanisevic and switching to, uh, you know, a very different philosophically and, and personality-wise in Fabrice uh, Santoro. I'm going to be interested to see how Milos's game transitions onto clay now that he's teamed up with someone that, uh, you know, can probably sneak some interesting aspects into Milos's game that perhaps we haven't seen before on that surface. And it'll be interesting to see how he schedules his clay, because if we remember last last season, he missed the French Open. So uh, that'll be certainly an opportunity to move up in the rankings a bit. Uh, one letdown, I suppose, from Indian Wells, we were deprived of a Rafael uh, Rafael Nadal, Roger Federer, edition number 39 showdown. I, I think that was sort of the mouthwatering matchup we were looking forward to in that semifinal. I certainly had it circled and figured the winner would be playing against maybe a Novak Djokovic for the title. Djokovic crashes out early to Philippe Kohlschreiber and Rafael Nadal, same old song and dance. Uh, that knee flares up on the hardcourt service and he is out of Miami. I I hope that we're going to see another meeting between these two, I feel like it's going to happen. Uh, I feel like Federer wants to stick around at least a year or two more. I hope Nadal does as well. Yeah, I mean, 39 times just isn't enough. I mean, we're, <laughs> we're greedy. We want more. We want to get to the half uh, century mark at least, hopefully, mm-hmm. if we can. But, uh, you know, I already had the tweet loaded and ready to go and unfortunately couldn't use it because Rafa pulled out. But, uh, you know, enjoy this if they do face each other and when they do face each other again, just just take it in and enjoy it. You yeah. know, like that Aussie Open final a couple of years ago. Just enjoy this because who knows if it will happen again. The two of them have definitely given us enough. They don't owe us anymore. No. So we just got to enjoy whatever is is left, and um, it, it's it's been memorable. It's just such a shame that it's it's injuries that prevented. And I guess Karen Kachanov just took a lot out of Rafa as those two produced some pretty epic, uh, you know, matches against one another. You hope Rafa was okay. Uh, obviously, not going to be playing in in Miami, and you you hope he's ready to go for the clay court season because uh, that that's his bread and butter. Obviously, his fans are going to want to see him win a uh, what would it be a twelfth title at Roland Garros. That's right. 
Um, and so we just wish him success in, in being back and healthy. And, and yeah, we'll see if him and, and Roger have another match uh, against each other uh, this year. It would be interesting on clay. It would be. And uh, now that Roger Federer has agreed to play that surface after skimming it two seasons, I, th- I think that's a conceivable thing that could maybe happen in a semifinal. Um, I always remind people, Roger Federer is still a very good clay court player. There was only one guy who uh, got in the way so many times. Uh, he's been to, what, five French Open finals. So he's still excellent on clay. I have no doubt that he's going to be making deep runs at tournaments there. So uh, if, if we look at it that way, there's a good chance they could uh, run into each other on the clay court surface, assuming Nadal stays healthy. I was also thinking if Nadal were maybe in his 20s, he would just fight through that knee pain and get out there. Now he's probably being a little more smart, smart smarter uh, <laughs> and preserving his career and longevity. Uh, we'll look ahead to the Miami Open. Denis Shapovalov had a pretty solid tournament in Indian Wells before losing to Hubert Hercatch, but had a nice win over Marin Cilic. And again in Miami, that is a possible encounter between the two. Uh, Shapovalov, of course, seated here, as is Marin Cilic. Shapo with the 20th seed, and he's likely to play, well, either a qualifier or Malik Jaziri, and then Cilic uh, also maybe Taro Daniel or qualifier, and then they run into each other probably again. We just got to cross our fingers and hope that qualifier isn't Felix Auger-Aliassime. I was thinking that, yeah. Uh, it's kind of a shame. I understand Felix has received a handful of wild cards, but you would think, given his performance at Indian Wells, given a victory over Stefano Tsitsipas, they could have given him a wild card in Miami. Uh, you know, maybe maybe the Americans are starting to say, hey, we got to like uh, <laughs> limit the amount of Canadians we let into our tourneys here with wild cards because they're starting to make us look bad. I don't, I don't know. I'm j- I mean, I'm joking, but... Yeah. Um, yeah, you can expect, I guess, not being an American to uh, to get to get all those wild cards. Um, definitely interested to see how both of them do in this tournament. A Chapo rematch with Chilich would be would be good. I think he's got the the mental edge, just having that that recent win and and feeling confident confident about that. You know, I am looking for Shapovalov to sort of build on on how he's been playing in 2019, which is not to say he hasn't had his moments and he's beaten some good names. Maybe it's just we're starting to compare it to some other Canadians that have gone all the way to the finals or won tournaments and he hasn't had that moment yet um but um look looking forward to seeing some progress as he goes through the uh, the season yeah it's certainly possible we've maybe raised the bar in terms of ex- expectations i don't want to say denis shapovalov has plateaued i don't think that's the case at all we're in the middle of march but i i guess for the past couple months he really has just been hovering in that sort of 23 to 27 range in terms of ranking not really taking a step forward not really taking a step back and i guess not really playing a complete full tournament where we get the best of him on every match. Uh, you know, you get a great version of him beating Marin Cilic and then maybe not his best tennis losing to her catch. Uh, we saw it in previous tournaments, kind of an early loss to Kukushkin, which was maybe a bit disappointing. You see a great match against Tomas Burdick, but then you run into a stand for It's Well, you know, the ATP tour is so difficult. But he gets so fired up also for some of those big names and big matches that maybe there's a letdown, you know, when you play a player that's ranked a little bit lower and, and perhaps in Indian Wells, he was looking ahead one round because, if I'm not mistaken, he would have been facing uh, Roger Federer. That's right. Which would have been, I mean, what player doesn't look forward on some level to playing Roger? Mm-hmm. Especially when you're 19 years old and you grew up obviously watching the guy from a young age, right? So. Yeah. No, that's uh, without question true. Milos Raonic will be the uh, number 12 seed here. Uh, possible encounter with the big serving American Taylor Fritz in the first round, uh, in the second round, rather. And he's in the top half of this draw here uh, with Djokovic, with Dominic team Kane Ishikori's in the mix I know Novak Djokovic was disappointing in Indian Wells here but uh, I figure he still probably remains the favorite in Miami 
I mean, he's won the tournament six times, right? So mm-hmm. obviously that puts him uh, right up there. Uh, when I'm looking at his draw, though, it's not going to be an easy one for him. He's going to face either Bernard Tomic or Thomas Burdick uh, in his uh, second round match after getting a bye. And, uh, I mean, Burdick is has been having a pretty good season. Mm-hmm. Um, also, you know, moving beyond that to a potential um, third round, sorry, fourth round match, could be Roberto Batista uh, Agu, who beat him earlier this year in Qatar. Or uh, even a tricky Fabio Fognini, who he uh, partnered in doubles and had some double success, actually, which we don't see all the all the time uh, in Indian Wells also. So it's, it's not going to be an easy draw for Novak, but, uh, you know, he hadn't played since the Aussie Open. So I think, That's we'll, true. I think we'll forgive that uh, that loss in, in his last tournament. And, uh, you know, no doubt he's going to be uh, hungry to, uh, to have a good run here in Miami. Yes, he would certainly think so. We'll move over to the uh, women's side. Unfortunately, Canadian Jeannie Bouchard was uh, playing in qualifying, and it was a quick and early exit falling in three sets to now Habino. Surprisingly, she is 0-4 in her head-to-head career against uh, the Japanese-born players. So I, I don't know if that's a stylistic matchup. Uh, issue or what, but uh, Jeannie Bouchard past couple weeks have been unfortunately disappointing. Um, so she is out of the tournament. Interesting though, Sloane Stevens will be defending the title and she has had a very uneven 2019, uh, just six and five on the season. She'll probably have a lot to prove. She's not really a name I have circled as maybe uh, a favorite or top contender to win, but another one of these players, when her game is clicking, she can take out anybody off the court. Yeah. And you just never know with Sloane Stevens, you know, and I love, I actually love that about her is she can just, you know, flick the switch and all of a sudden start playing lights out tennis. I mean, after she won the U.S. Open in 2017, there was a lull for her after that where she was losing quite a few tournaments in a row. Mm -hmm. And then 2018, obviously at this very event in Miami, what a great run. And then on the clay in Paris at Roland Garros, also an incredible run. She's capable of it. What I also like about her is she's very... um, easily able to um, shrug off a loss. Yes. You know, she's one of those players who doesn't come into press really grumpy or carrying a chip on her shoulder. She's like, hey, that's part of the game. It didn't work out for me today. I'll see you again soon, and things are going to be going much better for me. And so that's a very great, resilient quality for a professional athlete to have. And even though we'd love to see, and I'm sure her fans would love to see some more consistent play from her, uh, she could very well go on a, a deep run here, and it wouldn't surprise me in the least. Yeah, I think uh, short-term memory is very crucial for this sport if you want to have sustained success. Serena Williams, hopefully healthy. Uh, she is in the draw. Uh, we talked about with Kamashi Tandon last week, kind of the surprise exit uh, to Garbina Muguruza, where she apparently had a viral illness and could not continue with the match. Interesting that she's on the bottom half with a potential road against Alina Svitolina, Simona Halep, been there. Halep and Serena have had uh, some fascinating matches in the past, including recently the Australian Open. They played a great three-set match there. Um, not sure what to make of Serena. I, I feel like we get, we've get we seen matches uh, in 2019 where her level has been exceptionally high, maybe the best in the world, but she just hasn't sustained it. Yeah, and you know what? If there's an event where that could also, uh, you know, she could snap out of that, that funk, uh, it, it could very well be here where she's, I mean, if you think it's impressive that Novak has won six times, Serena's won this title eight times before, <laughs> uh, which is just staggering. Her first one back in 2002 against Jennifer Capriati. I was going through all the names of the players that Serena's beaten in Miami over the years, and it's quite an impressive list. And most of them have retired and like long since retired. You mm-hmm. know, Capriati, Elena Dementieva, oh, wow. Justine Hennen, uh, Yelena Yankovic, um, oh my goodness, uh, Lee Na, 
Yeah, all of all of those are out of the sport now, actually. Right, every and, single one, and, and every single one of them uh, a slam champion, with the exception of uh, actually Yankovic, I guess, and and uh, and Dementieva, but yep. both made made finals, I believe. So, mm-hmm. an impressive list of of players she's beat there. Uh, I'd love to see her play Svitolina. And when I spoke with Alina, actually a year ago this time, as Serena was just coming back to the sport, uh, Svitolina said to me she cannot wait to play Serena again because uh, obviously she had that big win at the Olympics uh, not too long ago, which was uh, sort of a coming out moment for, for Alina Svitolina. And so uh, I'd love to see that one happen just because I know how much uh, the Ukrainian is, is looking forward to that. Yeah, uh, now the key is don't look ahead too far. Focus on your first couple matches. Make sure you make it happen. I, I have a feeling Serena Williams uh, will do her part. Just a couple other names to watch. Uh, Belinda Bencic is just having an incredible 2019. Maybe, uh, you know, other than Naomi Osaka obviously winning the Grand Slam, uh, she would be just behind Bianca Andreescu in terms of success of this season, I think. Uh, certainly a name to watch. She's 18-4 and four on the year. Carolina Pliskova quietly having a quality season. I'm curious to see what she does here. Uh, she's leading the tour in aces, 147 on the air. So the service obviously clicking for her. Hey, she's got that title of ace queen for a reason, right? <laughs> That's correct. Uh, and I believe she is the number five seed here. So a lot of great tennis uh, today, uh, which is Tuesday, got completely rained out. So we're still not even through qualifying. So don't feel like you've missed out on any action if you're listening uh, to this episode right now. Uh, there's plenty ahead uh, and plenty to look forward to. And it was great to have Carson Branstein on the episode because uh, who knows Bianca Andreescu better than her? Yeah, I think, you know, you couldn't have found anyone better, really. So uh, aside from speaking to Bianca herself, and we hope to have her back on at some point. That'd be great. Although something tells me that her media requests have kind of gone up a little bit <laughs> a little uh, over popular. the last week or so. I noticed she's got like thousands more Twitter followers than she had <laughs> just, just a week or two ago. Yeah, that uh, tends to happen. Anyhow, we will see how she uh, handles things at the Miami Open. She'll be playing Irina Camelia Begu first, a rematch of their match at the BNP Paribas Open. You've been listening to the South Boston slice find us on twitter at southpaw underscore slice we're on instagram we're on facebook remember to subscribe on soundcloud i'm ben lewis you can find me at ben lewis sn590 find mike at pro tennis fan and thank you to our special guest this week carson branstein we will talk to you next time